If you take your Bibles, please, and find John chapter 1. We're in the New Testament, Gospel of John chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 43 through 51. And uh, good to see you today. We're glad that, uh, we're glad that you're here. It is, uh, it is Super Sunday. It is the day in which you will be watching commercials to only to be interrupted by a football game from time to time. But it's Super Sunday here at church, and we're calling it that because we certainly feel it's important that you uh, want to be in church today. And we're beginning a new series, Who's Your One? Uh, there are some cards we'll be talking about later that are either in your bulletin there today or there in front of you. These are Kentucky blue color. Oh, I wasn't going to say anything about the game, but uh, have your Who's Your One card to be ready here before it's over. And uh, so it's a great day to come to have you and your family or invite someone to be a part of church today. And uh, we certainly think that it's an exciting time to be to be a part. Uh, we were, we were counting up. I was talking with the staff and we were discussing, you know, there are particular certain Sundays that we want to be sure that we are uh, at the top of our game. The Sundays that we want to be sure that the Lord is glorified. Good time to you invite family and friends. You know, there's like Thanksgiving, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, times of Christmases, times students are back, all of those things. We were counting those. We've got an exact number of what we feel are the most important Sundays of the year. Let's see, what was the number? I think it's 52 of those that we have determined. 53, if January 1st falls on a Sunday, then there might be 53 Sundays. But we're glad you're here. We know there's an important part always to come and to be a part. But I wanted you, every time you heard Super Bowl advertised this week, I wanted you to think about what a super day to be in church and what a good day to be a part of what the Lord is doing. We are in John chapter 1 and verse 43 this month. We're going to be looking at individuals in the New Testament who were brought to Christ, those who came to Christ individually. Look at a couple of guys today, but we find one of those in John chapter 1 and verse 43. This now is the Word of God. Would you stand in honor of its reading today if you're able? The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We had found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. <clears throat> Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today. And you may be seated. 10,000 uh, believers uh, were interviewed and asked what brought them to Jesus or what brought them to church to begin to come into, come into church. We'll put those up. We'll just kind of read them as we go. First of all, we understand that 2% came because of a special need that the church met. Just keep those going if you don't mind. 3% were just kind of walked into the church under no particular influence. 6% was because of the pastor. Uh, 5% was because of a Sunday school or a small group that led them to come to Christ or the church. 5% were through an evangelistic crusade. 3% were because of a special program that the church was putting on. 
Of these 10,000, 79% was because a friend or a relative invited them or told them about Jesus. Well, it makes relationships pretty important, doesn't it? What do we do in inviting others and being sure that we care and concerned about those who need to know Christ? This morning, we're going to learn from two disciples who received invitations from the Lord that changed their lives. The Lord may have an invitation for you today, maybe an invitation to make your life better. It could be an invitation for someone else that uh, is able to give them life or eternal life or change their life. Three invitations are given in Scripture for those who will respond. You've got those in your notes are going to follow along. I want you to understand one of these invitations may be for you. You are invited to come and follow. It's an invitation of the Scripture. Now, many of you have been to Six Flags over Georgia. It's actually been a while since I've been there, but you've gone there and you might have noticed they have this little room right there in the middle maybe of, uh, of the amusement park and it says Lost Parents. And the first time you see that, yeah, I don't know if it's still there, but the first time you see that, well, you might smile about it because you might think it's really the children who are usually lost. But because it's a kid-friendly place, they decided that it might be cute to uh, put Lost Parents so that children would have a place to come to if they get lost. Well... Sometimes we like to turn things around. We change things from what they really are. Sometimes we talk like, well, I found Jesus. Or you've heard people say, I found faith. Or maybe I found religion. But the truth is, Jesus found you. It is, even Philip said when he came to his friend Nathaniel, he said, we have found Jesus of Nazareth. But Jesus comes looking for us. Notice verse 1. We read just a moment, or, verse, or the first verse we read, verse 43. Jesus found Philip. The truth is Jesus searches and finds us. Jesus always takes the first initiative. Jesus gave Philip his first heavenly invitation. It's the same invitation to each of us if he, as he searches us out and takes the initiative to find us. The psalmist said in Psalm 14 too, The Lord looks down from heaven on the Son of Man to see if there are any who understand or any who seek Him. Well, our Lord takes the initiative to seek us out. While we do not know what had prepared Philip that day, the Lord prepares hearts to be found by Jesus. My guess is that whether or not we know it today, on this Sunday, on this another Super Sunday, as we come into the Lord's house, the Lord's prepared your heart today. The Lord's prepared our heart for us to be able to meet with Him today because of an invitation perhaps that he has for us or something that he wants us to do or perhaps something that he wants to happen in our life so that we grow close to him or even to come to know him for the first time. And we need to be ready to respond as you listen to what he has to say. Jesus finds Philip and says to him, follow me. In its simplest form, salvation and discipleship is defined as following Jesus. This passage also helps to demonstrate that discipleship is not something that we do alone. John, the writer of this gospel, often gives a little bit more commentary than the other gospels. He adds this detail. Philip was from the town, same town as Andrew and Peter, Bethsaida. Chances are more than likely that they knew one another. And when Philip goes to find his friend Nathaniel, did you notice, he doesn't say, I found Jesus, but he says, we found Jesus. One element about being a disciple and responding to the invitations are the need and the companionship of being on this journey with others. Regardless of what you go through in life, if you're responding to the invitation to follow Christ, you are not alone. Others 
have gone before you. Others are walking with you on the journey together. We do this together. And when difficulties come, and they will, you do not have to do your battle in isolation. The Christian life is community. But the truth is, other people will let you down. We've let other people down on occasion. And no one knows exactly what you're going through, but there is one who knows. There's nothing that you could have experienced, nothing that you have, could have gone through that Jesus has not already experienced. He knows your heart, and He will never let you down. He's the one who invites you today to follow Him. So the first invitation is to come on the journey of following Christ with others. But there's another invitation. The second invitation we find in this very passage is you are invited to come and see. After Philip received the invitation to follow Jesus, he immediately went and found his best friend Nathaniel and said, We have found the one that the Messiah and the prophets wrote about. He is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now the name Jesus means Savior. And Philip was simply identifying Jesus. This was the one from Joseph's family who was the Savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah as written about. Do you know what Jewish people call the Old Testament? They don't call it the Old Testament. And in, particularly in this day and time, they often would call it the books of Moses and the prophets. Some say that the New Testament is about Jesus and the Old Testament is about something else. But it's all about Jesus and it's all about the redemption of the world through Him. It's not a book about good rules to follow or polite society or what thou shalt not do. So here were people who were students. Here were young men that were students of Scripture and Philip came and said, you know what we've been reading about? You know the one we've been waiting for? I found him. Well, Nathaniel had a problem believing first. Philip wanted his friend to know. And he had a, and notice when, when Philip came to him, he didn't come to him and say, I have found Jesus. Now let me tell you how you need to start needing to act. This is what you need to do. It's often our attitude toward people who need Jesus. We want to tell them how to act or we want to tell them what to do. All Philip wanted to do was to be sure that his best friend had come and had met Jesus as well. And Nathaniel had a problem believing at first because Jesus was from Nazareth. Now we know this passage and others that Nazareth was not necessarily looked on with great respect. Nathaniel was from Galilee. Nazareth was in Galilee. Most of the disciples were from Galilee. Now Galilee was north, at least north of Jerusalem. And I guess a lot of how people look at the, in the United States at the South, you know, of kind of being a little bit backwoods and a little bit uh, Hicksville, that's kind of how people view us. And that's okay if that's who we are and that's what we are and that's all right. We kind of embrace that. Well, here, those uh, in Palestine, they look from people from Galilee, kind of even though they were, it was north, it was kind of Hicksville. It was kind of backwoods. We don't know exactly why Nazareth was looked down upon, but it was a small, poor town, uncultured, uneducated. Some have written that it must have been a town with a reputation of people who had immoral behavior. One Bible scholar writes, Nazareth had only produced hot-headed fanatics and bogus messiahs. Well, could God use ordinary, if not fallen Nazareth, to demonstrate His greatness and power and to demonstrate that Jesus came to save sinners, even the worst of sinners. Yeah, that sounds like God. But there's another reason that Nathaniel had a 
problem with Nazareth already because of the conversation. We know that he was a person of the book, a person of the, what we would call the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets. But Nazareth never mentioned in the Old Testament. Jerusalem's mentioned, Bethlehem's mentioned, but no Nazareth. Well, one reason was because Nazareth wasn't even around in the Old Testament times. So he thought, well, surely no one, the Messiah would not be able to be from Nazareth. Could it be, really be true? Could, I, could this Jesus really be the Savior? Should I trust Jesus with my life and my eternity? And these are questions that people are asking even today. So what did Philip tell his friend Nathaniel? Verse, chapter 1 and verse 45, Come and see. There may be obstacles in your life to accepting everything the Bible says about Jesus or maybe what others have told you to be true, but regardless of the obstacles, you have the invitation to come and see yourself. It's the second invitation. It's the third invitation. And the third invitation is this. You are invited to come and see more or to come and see greater things. Nathaniel responded to the invitation to come and see. Verse 47 says, Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, Here is a true Israelite, no deceit in him. This is what Jesus said to Nathaniel as he's walking toward him, as he's approaching him. Well, the Lord gives invitations to himself. He waits and he looks for us like the loving father waited for the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son wanted to come home, simply be a servant of his father. But when the prodigal son returned, the father ran, fell down, hugged his son, put on them the, the family ring and the best robe, and killed the fatted calf, and they partied all night. For that which was lost had been found. Well, the Lord gives you the invitation to come to him, join him. And every time he waits for you to respond. And when you do, he has something good waiting for you, something even more, even greater things. Well, something more was waiting for Nathaniel. When Jesus saw him, he said, Behold a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. What, well, what did Jesus mean by that? The Israelites, for the most part, were no longer a people of faith. Many of them tried to follow the commandments or they tried to follow the rules or even the man-made rules that many of them had made up along the way. A lot of them went through the motions of going to worship and sacrifice and rituals. But their hearts were far from God. They had mostly really lived a lie. Their religion was not real. And as long as they were descendants of Abraham, they felt that God's, as God's chosen people, they were spiritually safe. But you might remember, it was just a few months ago that we were reading in Romans. And Paul tells us in Romans, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, that which is of the heart. Thus, in that day, there were some who were claiming God, but they were hypocrites, just like there are some today. But there were some who were students of the Scripture. They were worshipers of God, and they were looking for the Messiah. You might remember Simeon and Anna who were waiting in the temple when Jesus as a baby was dedicated. It's evidence of such people that they existed. You know who else is a God worshiper and a student of Scripture? It was Nathaniel. He was a true Israelite. In the King James Version it says that in him there is no guile, meaning no deceit. He was not deceiving himself or others by saying that he believed in God, but really not living it. Or worse, maybe claiming to be a follower of God or putting faith in God, but really being a follower of the devil. 
May our words and our worship of God be in line with what we do and how we treat others. Nathaniel was no hypocrite. He would not say he was a believer unless he really was. Now, Nathaniel was already impressed when Jesus said this. How do you know me? How do you know who I am, what I'm about? Yeah, you need to understand, Nathaniel was no pushover. He was not like, he was not one of those what we who are looking for new converts like to call uh, that low-hanging fruit. When Philip told his testimony of finding Jesus, he doubted Philip had really met the Messiah. And now he's coming to meet Jesus. And Jesus is not just blowing smoke or giving out compliments when he says to Nathaniel as he is approaching, here's a true Israelite. And then so that Nathaniel might know that Jesus sees the heart, he told Nathaniel something that he saw him doing physically. And Jesus says in verse 48, the very last part of that verse, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Now there's some significance about fig trees in Palestine. Do you any of you remember living anywhere or where there was no air conditioning? Anybody ever lived someplace there's no air conditioning? Yeah. Some of these younger folks have no idea what that would be like. Listen, when your mama or your grandmama says, shut the door and don't let all that bought air out, you know, you uh, shut it fast because they remember the days when air conditioning was a luxury and it was not a necessity. Well, in the land of Palestine, guess what? They had no air conditioning. And normally in the land of Palestine, they'd have, you know, their one room or a couple of rooms there, and there'd be maybe one door and one window. And so the tree of choice to plant around the house was the fig tree. Fig trees would grow about 15 feet high, and they would have limbs about 25 to 30 feet long, so they would provide a lot of shade for the house. And if you needed to get out of the house and go somewhere that was shady, you'd often go, and you might would sit under the fig tree. So here... The Lord had seen Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree, and he may have seen him actually reading Moses and the prophets, or may have realized he was praying to God. Now, some speculation that Nathaniel was reading, meditating, and praying under the fig tree, but not that much, for he was deemed a true Israelite. Rabbis would often teach, particularly under fig trees. And when Jesus told Nathaniel, saw him under the fig tree, he was thoroughly convinced, and he declared to him, Rabbi, showing great respect. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. A declaration every bit as powerful as Peter's confession before the twelve that would come later that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 50 of chapter 1, Jesus says, You believe because I saw you under the fig tree. In the last part of that verse, this is a paraphrase, but Jesus said, You ain't seen nothing yet. Or, Jesus answered, you will see greater things. In verse 51, he said to him, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That verse, just that one verse is to be a reminder of an Old Testament story found in Genesis chapter 28 about Jacob, whose name would become Israel, who would be the father of the twelve sons and the twelve tribes of Israel. In Genesis 28, Jacob arrives at what would be called Bethel, and there he camps out. He puts a rock under his head, and while he's sleeping, he has a dream. And then this dream, he dreams of a ladder that stretches to heaven, and at the top of that ladder was the Lord. And angels were ascending and descending up and down the ladder, this ladder or this stairway to heaven. 
telling Jacob that God is intimately involved in the affairs of his people. And it was an invitation for Jacob to see heaven open as he joined God in the work of salvation. Jacob woke up. And when he woke up, he said this in verses 16 and 17 of Genesis 28. He said, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. How awesome in this place. This is none other than the house of Jacob. This is the gate of heaven. He found the Lord, and he put his faith in the Lord there at Bethel. It was Jacob's salvation experience and his commitment to God, even though his past had been far from perfect. When I read John 1.51, I think of that story. When Nathanael heard Jesus make this statement about the ladder stretching to heaven and that he is the ladder and that the angels would be ascending and descending, he also thought of this story. Jesus was telling that the Son of God is the ladder that reaches the heaven. And it's the third invitation of the story, an invitation to come and see more and be a part of the heavenly eternal purposes of God. Nathanael responded to the invitation by becoming an apostle of Jesus one of the twelve who would turn the world upside down, telling others that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that Jesus provided the way by giving his life as a ransom for many. It's the same invitation for you. To see glimpses of heaven while God does his work. To share with others in the salvation experience and know that heaven rejoices every time someone asks Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to be Savior and Lord of their heart. If you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, you're invited today to call upon Him, believing today that the Lord is at work in the heart and life of everyone who needs to respond to Christ for salvation. I'm asking you to prepare your heart right now. Right now, that if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you're not sure and you think you need to get that settled today, I believe the Lord is at work in your heart in a few moments, we're going to have a song of response, an invitation, opportunity for you to be able to come giving your heart and life to Jesus. And you do that by asking Him to forgive you of your sins, believing and putting your faith in Him. And it is by His grace. I'm going to be standing down here at one of our pastors, and you can come, and you can just take her hand and say, I want to accept Christ today as my Savior and Lord. Or, I have accepted Christ, and I want to make it public today as well. Well, there's a fourth important invitation that I want to share with you. The invitation for, is for all who have already responded to God's call and become a child of God. Now, the first three invitations, they are implicit. They're in the story. They're said today to those who are in the story. They are implicit and they apply to us and everyone who needs to call upon Jesus. This invitation is implied in the story. Now, it's found other places to where it is implicit, like in Matthew 28, 19 and Acts chapter one in verse 8. But here's the invitation. You are invited to come and invite others. You're invited to come and invite others to follow Jesus. Just as, Je just as Jesus found Philip and said, follow me. He wants to use you to ask the question, not to follow you, but he wants to use you to ask the question to come and follow Jesus as well. Also, you're invited to come and invite others to come and see Jesus. Because conversion is not about knowledge, it's about an encounter with the risen Lord. You cannot provide salvation for anyone. Only Jesus, by His grace, can provide new life and eternal life. But we are the brokers. You are invited, you have the privilege and the responsibility to arrange the meeting so someone can meet Jesus. 
We're going to talk about today in the next few weeks how we can be at work to be able to do just that by praying for those who need to know Christ or need who are unchurched by invitations that we can give not only to come and hear about Jesus at church and other places but invitations to follow how you give your testimony we'll talk more about that even today and also about how you can show love that will open doors so that you might be able to arrange that particular meeting so you're invited to come and invite others not only to follow Jesus not only to come and see Jesus but to come and see more, to see greater things. Would you agree with me if someone, anyone, met Jesus face to face, they would be impressed? Well, if you read through the Gospels, you'll find time and time again, all those who met Jesus face to face, it, could, it was something that could not be ignored. Everyone had to respond in some way. Everybody had a reaction. The religious leaders hated him. And tried to kill him. And at the timing of Christ, they succeeded. The poor and the needy clung to him. The hungry wanted to make Jesus king. The crippled and the lame cried out for healing. Tax collectors and sinners cried out for mercy. You cannot have an encounter with Jesus and not have a reaction. Nathaniel, who doubted his best friend Philip when he met Jesus, he cried out, You are the Son of God and the King of Israel. And Jesus told him, You will see much greater things. Who is it that you know who needs to come and follow Jesus? Who needs to come and see and have an encounter with Christ so that they might be able to know Jesus and be a new person in Him and have eternal life and be a part of something bigger than this world? You have a blue card that's either there in your bulletin or there in the chair back in front of you. If you pull that out even at this time, simple card, who's your one? We're not just doing this, but it's across the convention. Many churches are observing this in different ways, and we're doing this. I encourage you, even now, to maybe write down a name of somebody that you know. Begin to think about, maybe prayerfully, Lord, lay somebody on our heart, somebody that you know is unchurched. You could think about it, or somebody who's lost. You could think about it this way, kind of like a concentric circles. Who's those closest to you? Those in your immediate family and extended family and friends and co-workers, classmates and teammates and neighbors and thus forth. You know, you could think of it like that. You could think of it like this. Who's the person that you think would be most likely to receive the Lord Jesus if they were given an invitation that you know? And you might want to write that name. You could think of it like this. Who's the person least likely that you think there's no way they're ever going to turn to Christ, but there's somebody that you know? But let me tell you, if you arrange the meeting and they meet Jesus, there's no way not to have a reaction. And then maybe that's the person that you want to place there. We're going to have opportunity to be able to uh, use those here in a few minutes, and we want to give you opportunity to be able to do uh, just that. Um, well, I want to give you one tool today. So you might notice in your notes, be there on the screen, but everybody has this, and that's your Jesus story. Anybody here ever met someone from Tupelo, Mississippi? Anybody? Oh, lots of you have. The reason I ask that is because uh, everybody that I've ever met from Tupelo, Mississippi has an Elvis Presley story. And I tell you, because uh, some of my wife's family are from Tupelo, Mississippi, a couple of generations back, and See if I can get this right. 
My wife's father's aunt married Elvis's uncle. Okay, so there you go. And some of them lived next door to him when he was growing up. So there, and uh, everybody I've ever known from Tupelo pretty much has an Elvis story. Well, you know what? Everybody who has ever met Jesus has a Jesus story. Everybody's a follower of Christ. If you're a true follower of Christ, you have a Jesus story. You can fill out these three things, and you can do that even here as we go, or take notes, and you can do that. Notice Philip gave his testimony in verse 45. He said, we have found him, Jesus of Nazareth. It was a simple story. I am encourage you to make your Jesus story today a very simple story. First, you want to talk about my life before meeting Jesus. You might want to fill in the blanks as that goes. No more than two or three sentences. Don't make it better or worse than it is. I grew up in church. I never went to church. I never darkened the doors of a church. I had an addiction. I was part of another religion. I never even heard about Jesus previously it may be in the part of your story about I met Jesus how did you meet Jesus well it may be that you want to begin with who introduced you to Jesus through my parents through a Sunday school teacher through a pastor through a neighbor somebody took me to vacation Bible school somebody took me to a revival somebody must have laid a Bible in a hotel room in a Gideon and I read for the first time and gave my life to Jesus where were you when that happened when did you place your faith? Did it, were you in church? Were you in a hotel room when reading the Bible? Were you at a revival meeting? Did you do it at home? Were you alone? You don't have to remember the exact date and time, but everybody has a place and a time when your world and life and eternity change. If it's part of your story, <clears throat> I've always been a Christian, then I need to tell you that you need to get that settled today because the Bible says while we were enemies of the cross. All of us were in need of redemption. Or if there's never been a time that you can think of that you've called upon Jesus, well, you, you can talk about going to church, but if you can't think of a time or know of a time when you've called upon Him today, you need to call upon Jesus. And there are two elements that need to be a part of your testimony. It's written there in your notes. We'll place it there on the screen. By repenting, I turn from sin and self to Jesus through faith, I place my trust in Christ alone. Walking an aisle or being baptized never saved anyone. This is the point in which someone listening to your story, if they followed your example, they could become a follower of Jesus because they could understand. I can ask Christ to forgive me of my sins. I can place my faith in Christ alone as well. And then the third part is now that I know Jesus... What difference has Jesus made in your life? Two or three sentences and an example. Your two or three sentences need to have something to do with the here and the hereafter. You need to, they need to know that you have confidence that you will spend eternity in heaven. And they need to know the difference that Jesus is making now, that Jesus is walking with you and walking with you today. How has being a follower of Jesus helped you with problems or given direction or purpose? What's a concrete example of the difference that Jesus has made? He, he's helped me overcome an addiction. He's healed my marriage, helped me deal with a loss, helped me deal with divorce, money problems, whatever it may be. Your story is a powerful story, and it should take less time to tell it than it took me today to tell you how to tell it. And In other words, sometimes you only have a few minutes. Now... You may have somebody and they ain't ready to listen. You just lay it all on them. You can talk to them as long as you want, as long as they know that they're listening. But 
A lot of times we only might have a few minutes. So here's some homework today, this week. <clears throat> you know you're going to get homework. Tell somebody your story this week. They don't even have to be lost. I mean, just find somebody that you can tell your story in three, five minutes at the most. Call me up and tell me your story. Come by and see me. You can send me an email. It'd be okay. But uh, find somebody. Let me encourage you just to find somebody to tell your story. Imagine if uh, 400, 450 folks told their story. Somebody's going to tell their story to somebody that needs it. And even believers need to hear your story for encouragement and their own lives' encouragement to be able to tell theirs as well. I want you to notice the three descriptions of Jesus in this encounter. Philip came and told Nathanael, We have found the one who is the son of Joseph. Then Nathanael proclaimed, You are the son of God. And then when Jesus talked about himself, He is the son of man. Do you know the Jesus of the Bible who was born to Mary and Joseph, stepson actually of Joseph, who came as the son of God to save you from your sins? Jesus became the Son of Man so He might become flesh and take away our sins and be able to give us new life and eternal life. Moments from now, you'll have a chance to respond and call on Him. For those of you who know Christ, you have a card, and I'm asking you even today to maybe put a name on that card. Keep one part and bring the other part here. And it may be what you want to do is you want to you want to write that name on both sides? In just a moment as we have our song of response. And you want to tear, tear that card apart. And in just a moment what we're going to do is we're going to take these. And if you're, you want to put initials on there, it'll be okay. But we're going to come and I'm going to ask you to come. I'm just going to ask you to lay it somewhere, anywhere on one of these steps. And they're going to stay here all month. If that's the only one, well, that'll be the one. We're going, but uh, I and the staff are going to come and we're going to pray uh, periodically for all those that are on the steps. You're welcome to come and do that. But you might want to come. You might want to place this and maybe just pause for just a moment or kneel for just a moment and maybe pray for that person and head back to your seat. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, now will be the time to come and say, I want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. So let's make it clear as we have our Invitation and response time here in just a moment. I know the pastor is going to be standing down here at the front, and we encourage you. You come, place in your blue card. We're going to be praying for these. We're not going to vacuum the steps for a whole month, but we'll catch it up after that. If you need to come accepting Christ, come take my hand, one of our pastor's hands, and say, I just want to accept Jesus today. Or maybe you already have. You need to make that public. The other part of the invitation is, wow. I don't know that you realize, but we have guests every Sunday. We might have 20 plus families sometimes in our two services of those who are not members of our church, but are attending our church. And uh, many of them we've talked to, through and talked to, and you're praying sometimes about responding. We're going to talk more about church membership, but it'd be a good day for you to come. Other folks are coming down anyway. It may be a good day for you to come and say, I want to come and I want my membership. I want to be a part of the Parkway Baptist Church family. We'll tell you how to do that if, if you need to, need to know how, but uh, that's okay. It'd be a good time for you to come. Those three things could happen. Bring your blue card. Come accepting Christ. Come joining the church. Let me bow for you, pray for you today. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this particular Sunday and every Sunday that we can come and we can join you in worship. We thank you for the love that you have given us. We thank you for the privileges and responsibilities 
that you've given us as believers in the Lord Jesus, as members of Parkway Baptist Church and members of your family. We pray, Father, that we will be responsible in taking the challenge that you give each one of us to be a disciple of Christ and to be one who shares Christ with others. We come today, Father, laying these at the altar, praying for these, looking for next steps as to what it is that we can do to help others come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, lay at least one on our heart today who needs to come to know you. And Father, we also come and we pray if there's someone here that needs to give their heart and life to Jesus today, needs to make it public, it'll be easy for them to take that first step and to come down and to stand before others. We pray, Father, for families who uh, have been praying about becoming members of Parkway Baptist Church. Father, we pray that they'll do nothing other than what pleases you. We pray these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our hymn of invitation, our song of response. You respond as the Lord is leading you today.